0: please visit RedemptionOKC.com. All right, good stuff. We are wrapping up a series today called Your Story, God's Story. We'll be jumping into a series on the Holy Spirit next week, and it's going to be kind of a deep, systematic theology dive in uh, we're going to dive into some, some good theology and, and look at the Holy Spirit and who the person of the Spirit is and what He does and what that means for each of us, and so excited about that starting next week. But today we're in this series on Your Story, God's Story, and we've been talking about sharing life stories with one another. And for those of you that are new, this is uh, you're playing catch up a little bit today, but I'm actually going to share my story today, so you're going to get to see an example of this and uh, kind of get a, a feel for what, what this thing is we're talking about. But you may want to go back and look. Uh, a couple weeks ago and, and the last couple weeks and get a better sense of kind of what we're talking about. But this was just part of our vision and our conviction for this year as a church. As we look on the horizon of our world, we just don't see people that are very reflective about what's going on in their own hearts and in their own lives and their own emotions and their, uh, their own spiritual journeys. And so we wanted to try to create a process to help you process the things going on in your own life. And so that's really the heartbeat behind this. And one of the things we set out to do as uh, uh, the elders are up here, we're praying for Chris. We did this together as an elder team. Uh, we've done it with our, our small group leaders are currently doing it. If you're in a small group, your small group leaders should be sharing their story this week. Uh, our deacons are going through this process and we want to invite you all into this. And there's a couple of reasons why. Now, when we, when we talk about your life story, I want you to know, first and foremost, your life story is primarily for you. This is about your discipleship. This is about your journey. Your your life story is not your testimony. It's not something that you're doing for someone else. It's for you to step back and say, Lord, how have you made me, and what is it you've done? You're doing in my own life. What are the things that you've uh, that you've carried me through to this point, and what do I need to learn from those things? And so, even if you're not in a group, uh, we want you to we want you to explore the process of going through your life story. You can actually go on our website right now, redemptionokc.com. You can download. Uh, we've got a packet there that tells you how to kind of walk through discerning your own life story and trying to put that together. Uh, we also have some copies printed out in the comments if you want to grab one of those. Or I'm sorry, over here on tables on this side of the room if you want to grab one of those on your way out. But here's what I what I want you to understand about your life story. Your life story is ultimately about the formative experiences of your life. Uh, we all have these things that we've been through. And when you look back on your days and uh, I mean, Chris Clark's got a lot of days to look back on at this point, right? Uh, and I've got even more than that. And so when you look back on all those days, some of them you don't remember at all, but some of them, and you remember every, every, every instant of that day, you remember every moment, you, you, you remember how those things impacted you, and you're still, you're still kind of reeling from some of those experiences, and some of those you're still rejoicing in. Uh, and so those things really do shape who we are. And so it's not just the facts of your story, but really it's a record of the experiences of your life and how God used those to form and shape who you are. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way for us to step back and say, Lord, where do you want to redirect me? Where do you want to refine me? Uh, where do you want to renew and uh, redeem some of the things in my past? And, uh, and so really we're walking through these, these kind of formative experiences, and we break them into five categories. It's uh, your heritage and your history. Uh, it, it's your heroes. It's your hard times and, and, your, high, uh, and your high points. So the, the good and the bad are the events of your life. Uh, and then it's the hand of God. How has how the hand of God intersected all of those different areas of your life? And when, one of the things we think is going to happen as we start to share our stories, and I can tell you from having done this uh, multiple times before, when you sit down and someone shares their story, you instantly feel more connected to them. You instantly feel like, man, I, I didn't know that about them. And you instantly feel a little more of a relational bond with them because they've been vulnerable and they've put something out there and there's trust that's developed because they've opened up their life and invited you in. And so as they invite you into your own life, um, it, it really allows us to be a stronger community where we get to rejoice in the grace of God uh, in, in one another's life. And we also get to uh, affirm and confirm the gifts that we have and in the way in which God is at work in each of us all each of our lives. So uh, you with me so far? All right, well let me give you just as we think about this, the, the the bottom line for us as we think about our stories is that our stories ultimately start with the Lord. It's gotta start with us trusting the Lord with our story. And I would go so far as to say, you need to trust the Lord with your story. Some of you have never really connected the dots between the, the sovereign God of the universe and all the dots and details of your life. And you need to trust the Lord with all of this and trust that he is a part of that and that he cares about those things. So can I give you five short verses that relate to your story and just just kind of encourage you biblically about why your life stories uh, matters? Proverbs 6, 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. See, you need to approach your life with a sense of humility. I uh, hate to break it to you, but you're not God. Like, any of you say an amen to that, right? Like, I mean, part of you wants to be God, and part of you is really glad you're not, but you're not, so you don't have to worry about that. It's not an issue. You can plan all that you want, but the sovereign Lord ultimately directs your steps. And so you need to approach life with a sense of humility. Psalm 19, or 1912 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need, to, we need to live with a sense of the brevity of life, that you've only got so many breaths that you're going to inhale and exhale here on this planet, and then you're going to be gone. And so uh, it, one of the, the ways that Scripture encourages us is that when you understand your life, you're not going to waste your life, but you want to live in wisdom. So teach me to number my days and teach me to walk in wisdom. Luke 12, and we also need to consider... Um, the fact that God cares about all the details of our life. Luke twelve seven. Jesus says, Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Some of you, that wasn't hard, right? Uh, like, God's like, I got that one. You know, that one was easy. Or maybe, you know, maybe God get tired of counting. He's like, I'm just going to take some of those away so I don't have to keep up with so much. I'm not sure exactly why. But he says, even the numbers of your hair, are the numbers of the head of your hair are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows and God has not forgotten one of them. Isn't that amazing. God's not forgotten. Jesus says, God's not forgotten one sparrow, and you're of infinitely more value than they. God knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the details of your life, and he cares about those things. And if God cares about the details of life, of your life and the numbers of the hairs on your head, don't you think you should care about those things and take notice of those things too? I think it I think it goes without saying we should. And we don't need to fear dealing with the hard things. God knows those too. Psalm 56:8, I love this verse. It says you have kept count of all my tossings. So all those nights when you're in anxiety and you're in turmoil and you're tossing in your bed and you can't sleep, um, psalmist says to the Lord, you've kept count of all of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written down in your book? Do you know that God takes notes of the hard stuff in your life? That he's aware of everything you've ever gone through. That you didn't go through those alone, but he is very much aware of those things as well. Um, It's important, I think, if he is aware of those things and tracks them, that we should probably take notice of those things too and do some business there. Lastly, our confidence is not in self. Our great confidence is ultimately in God and his love for us. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible about God's love for us, is Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Friends, do you know that God loves you like that? That God loves you with a personal love? That God looks at you and he rejoices over you. That he wants to, in your in your days when everything's screaming and everything's loud and you can't find a moment of calm, that he wants to quiet you with his personal care of you. Said so he sings over you. I think when I think of that verse, I think of my kids. In, in the crib. And I think of my wife singing songs over them as they rested there. This is the Lord wants to sing over you in his joy because of you and your care for you. So friends, if he loves you like that, do you think you can trust him with the whole story? All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive in because I'm going to have to trust him with my story, which means uh, I got to share with you. And I hope we get through all this. Uh, part of me has no idea how long this is going to go and how we're going to do, but we're going we're gonna to do the best we can and press on. So I am going to share with you my story today. And so I want to model for you what this looks like and give you a sense of kind of what it would feel like to, to put your own story together. Now, truth be told, this is the third time I've done this. I I did this uh, really in my thirties. I did it in my forties and I'm doing it again. Actually it was probably twenties and thirties and now. And so as I've done this, my, my story, this may be a little longer because this is the third time I worked through it. It just keeps, you know, I keep adding on and looking at like, Oh, I got to push some of those sections together because now there's a whole lot more that needs to be talked about. So, um, but I want to give you a sense in your story is not going to look like my story and it shouldn't you do you Uh, we really as you think about this process we want you to do what's most helpful for you to step back and go Lord how are you work forming and shaping and modeling and molding me in my own life Uh, and so I just got a picture here of kind of the the printout of my story this is what mine looks like it's on two pages and I've jotted some notes down on it but it, it the whole thing's there and so my whole life is summarized right there that's all there is that's left um but this just gives you a picture of kind of some of the things that, that uh, of, of how you might structure it and how you might uh, do this in terms of your own, your own story. You notice there uh, there's a theme across the top. It says, I'm committed to do what I love, taking on challenges to grow and make a difference that the less. I think if you look back at my life, that, that's the thing that seems to stand out, um, that, that's always been there, that's always been a part of who I am. And if I were to kind of put a title over it, that might be how I would summarize some of that. You notice on the left-hand side of that handout, there's some categories that are there. I I talked through my history, heritage, and events. Uh, Those events are the high points and hard times. So what I did there was I just created a bullet list of like, man, here's the big stuff that happened that kind of summarizes what some of my life would be. I listed my heroes. Who are the people that modeled for me a life that I wanted to emulate and and follow and uh, spoke into in my life in a significant way? And then there's two other categories, the spiritual foundation and a relational connection and that uh, those last two categories really are that that's where I've seen the hand of God most clearly in my own life it is through the, the, the way in which he formed a spiritual foundation in me and then through the friendships and the relational connections that he's used to help foster that in my life and that, that's been where I've most clearly experienced uh, the hand of God so let me walk through this now uh, let's let's start at the beginning uh, let's go to the childhood um uh, my family grew up, or really came from Oklahoma, Arkansas, this part of the country. Uh, my grandparents actually were good. My grandfathers were good friends. My grandparents knew each other uh, in the small town of Chandler, Oklahoma. Uh, there, where uh, my mom and dad grew up, and um, <clears throat> and so with that heritage, a lot of Church of Christ and Baptist background. So definitely had a, a kind of a religious, spiritual heritage. Um, lots of extended family and cousins. A pretty close, tight knit family. I uh, was born and raised in Edmond, Oklahoma. And so the first house I, this is the first house I remember uh, growing up in as a kid and lived there. Uh, this was a, this is actually a more recent picture. I went by a couple years ago and just took a picture. Um, that wasn't our car. I don't know whose car that was, but it uh, made me think of back to the future when I saw it first time, but it's not quite, it's not a DeLorean. Uh, but that was the house that I grew up in when I was uh, kind of a little guy, growing up through elementary school. And we moved across town in middle school and um, lived in a little bit different uh different area of town but a lot of reading in my house Uh, dad read Narnia and Lord of the Rings to us we had to read an hour for every hour of tv we watched and uh with the exception of football football you had to pass on uh you could watch all the football you wanted but everything else you had to you had to earn by reading and so uh that probably tells you something about uh, how I was shaped um dad was a drug dealer and so um owned his own pharmacy and so for years um that was a that was a standard trope in high schools. Yeah, what did your dad do? He's a drug dealer, and. Uh, that really was a family business. He worked an awful lot, worked really hard to provide for us. And, um, we would, we would go up on inventory days and we'd sit with our big chief tablets and write out, you know, he'd call out medicines and we'd write all those things down and spend hours up there over Christmas break making sure that they got inventory done. And, uh, and so there were a lot of good memories related to that. I remember getting my driver's license and running deliveries all over town and, you know, it'd be icy out and he'd be like, I can't send my girls out, out in this. You get over here. And so he'd send me out in that. Um, but, It very much was a family-run business, and was a part of that. Uh, I also remember a day when I came home from a birthday party in elementary school and walked down that front porch that you saw. And as I stepped in, that remember mom and dad greeted me, and mom's arm was around dad, and that that just wasn't normal, wasn't the normal way they greeted me when I walked in from the door. And your mom saying your dad shot someone today, and they'd been held up and had an armed robbery, and um, out of fear for his employees, my dad had had to shoot in self-defense in order to protect his employees, and so. I remember that marked um, a, a, definite, a definite time in my life. Um, but my mom and my dad were my heroes. Uh, I always felt like I had the best parents of anyone I knew. Uh, they, were, they really were the kind of models for me of everything that I wanted to be and, and are still heroes of mine. Uh, I got saved at, at the age of eight to vacation Bible school, got baptized. I remember baptism and getting under the water and coming up. I just remember the feeling of that, and there was something about that that was really significant. It made me so grateful now, looking back, that Jesus was smart enough to know we needed a physical symbol of what was going on spiritually. Um, and at that age, that really made that come to life for me. Uh, family was active in church. Mom served a lot in the kids' ministry. Uh, dad felt, at that time, a little more reserved, and a little more private, but was very faithful. Uh, I only remember my dad missing church two or three times in my entire life. And when we came home from church on those Sundays, what I remember is he was sitting reading his Bible. And it was like he wanted to make this little statement that, I know I was sick today, but this is important so we don't just let it go. And so that was always model for me. There were lots of life lessons. I remember him always saying, uh, there's always someone somewhere in the world living off 10% less than you, so you can always give. Uh, And all these little things. Parents, so many times it's these little things, little routines, little examples, little modeling things that impact you as a kid that you may not even realize you're doing. But it just was an overflow of kind of how they lived and who they were. So uh, dad always wanted a brother. So we had lots of fun, took ski trips, uh, lots of sports, lots of games, lots of stuff that we did. Um, Mom was really um, just, I think my mom still is the the kindest person I know. It is such a servant-hearted, gentle spirit. And it was always kind of our security blanket, you know. Like she was always there, and you just knew that, that you could count on her no matter what. My brother and I were close. Uh, we also fought because we were close. Um, uh, I threw one punch in my life and broke that hand, that bone right there on his head. Um, he's always been a hard-headed guy, uh, but but that's the only punch I ever threw. But uh, love my brother. As uh, we we actually chose to share a room as opposed to having our own rooms at one point, so we could have a game room and um, really wanted to be together. My sister came in 10 years later and was just a lot younger. So I feel like I missed out a lot with her, but we were also, um, just a tight knit family. So that's kind of the early years. When you think about those years, when you go to growing up, uh, I was a typical firstborn. Um, uh, first you got to see this picture. I'll let you guys decide if that's a mullet or not. Um, uh, that, that is pretty incredible, isn't it? You just, you got to love that. Um, yeah, definitely children of the 80s, and so that's full-fledged there. Um, it was a typical firstborn, very competitive, loved sports, loved uh, really hard work, was rewarded um, both in school and um, in, in sports and all the things that we did uh, there as well. And one of the things that, that happened in those years was I actually quit basketball my senior year because my coach had told me I wasn't going to start. I was just going to play a quarter of the game, and I was like, I'm just going to have fun my senior year. And about two weeks in, I realized... How much I regretted that decision, and it was one of those things that I made a decision based on pride. And as a high school kid, and I always looked back and thought that was the wrong decision, but it was too late to undo that, and I had to deal with the consequences of that. And I always, I uh, never really got over that. I just remembered, and there's things you have to process in life. Um, I was always a good kid. Uh, there was a lot of fear of failure. I was an achievement junkie, and so. Uh, that that sort of shaped my life, and I was always running after like a typical firstborn success or achievement or doing the right thing or being perceived the right way. Um, and so those those definitely shaped my life. I had a lot of friends from school. My best friends were from youth group. Um, Jeff Tate and some other guys that I ran around with in high school uh, were there. Yeah, they got a little good football picture there. And then a graduation picture there with Jeff Tate. Um, but we uh, we ran around a youth group together. One of the great things, one of the high points of those years was that Jeff um, came to a church, a church event with us, and actually got saved. And Jesus met Jesus there um, through some of our inviting him to come and be a part of church. And so that was a that was a serious high point, and I think also helped shape my heart for ministry as I desired to see God use and um, uh, save people and reach people and do those things as well. Um, I would say generally uh, we were happy, but I also recognizing in that time. I didn't know what to do with negative emotions. I think for our family, negative emotions were just something to be avoided. And so sadness or anger were like, let's skip over those and let's find a way to go get to, the, get to a happier place. And, and so that showed up a little bit later as I, as, as I did enter into some suffering later in life. I wasn't sure what to do with some of that. I wasn't quite sure exactly how to, to categorize that and, and put those things into play. Um, during those high school years, there was definitely ups and downs. And so like many of you... Um, Tested boundaries morally um, and, and pushed some limits there, and so there were days when I, I looked like I wanted to follow Jesus, and there were days where it looked like I didn't want to follow Jesus, and, and so there was a lot of ups and downs. And there was a couple seasons in there, in um, like seventh, eighth grade up through ninth grade, where I really ran from the Lord, I hid from the Lord, and we're really testing the, ba- the boundaries morally. And, and there came a point where I looked up one day and thought, I'm really not happy, and I recognized that what I was chasing wasn't ever going to really fulfill me. But I knew where fulfillment was. I knew it was with Christ. And so th- there wasn't a big event. There wasn't something that happened. But I just remember thinking, I got to change. And I went to youth group and started to read my Bible and just began to pursue Christ. And uh, that really was something that marked a that marked transition in my life as, as, I, as I shifted gears there. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to share in that, in that section. And I think there was some leadership stuff that showed up in youth group there. I remember at a certain point where we had a transition with a youth pastor that left and we didn't have a youth pastor. And we kind of looked around and went, man, if we don't do something, this is really going to stink for the last part of high school. And so we jumped in and just like, let's start leading. And so we began leading out in, in some of our youth ministry. And so I think some of those leadership things began to develop even in those early years. So early adult or college, let's go to college next. Um, kind of wanted to change, wanted to get a little further away from home. Went to Baylor, so went out of state. That picture is actually after college, but I, for whatever reason, I couldn't find one. Uh, but got got a Jeep, headed down to Texas. Uh, loved my time at Baylor. Really enjoyed uh, those years. Was an English literature major, but I was also pre-med, pre-law. Um, wasn't really sure. I just knew I wanted to achieve something and do well and be successful. And so had kind of picked out, like, how do I go do those things? And until the middle of my junior year when I shifted and, and decided to, to pursue ministry um, and just kind of apparently gave up all those other desires. Um, but freshman year, uh, when I went to college, I would say, it's funny, now that my boys are going to college, we've talked through some of these things and walked through some of these processes, or some of what I went through as we've unpacked that. Uh, but that was a real lonely time for me in some ways. It was, it was a strange time because I was meeting some of my best friends in the world, but I just didn't feel like I had real friends. A lot of times on the weekend, I'd look around and I'd go, man, I miss my old guys. Like, uh, I miss calling my buddies and, like, I knew every Friday night in high school, if we didn't have a date, which was a lot of Friday nights in high school, uh, we were gonna go watch Headbangers Ball, we were gonna play poker, we we're gonna play video games, we we're gonna go to a movie, but I had my group of guys that I could count on on Friday nights to hang with. If we didn't have a football game or something else. I went to college and all of a sudden I was like, man, I don't, I, it, it just, everything felt risky. It didn't feel like I had those true friendships. So there was some loneliness, I think, that, that set in there. Um, in that that transition, though, there was a transition into a new group of friends that that over time, God really blossomed and made uh, kind of my greatest a great group of friends during that year during those years. Um, spiritually, this was you notice that word fandango. We called this our fandango group, uh, partially because one of the guys. We started meeting with this group of guys uh, as an accountability group, and we would meet on the Brazos River uh, down on one of the docks, and we'd meet at eleven p.m. on a Wednesday night because it was the only time we were sure no one had anything to do. And no one ever excuse. We're like, someone would be like, well, I can't make it. We're like, dude, you don't have anything scheduled at 11 p.m. on Wednesday night. So we called at our midnight meetings, and we go sit on the browsers, and we had a list of questions that we would, that we would talk through. And, and some of that had to do with our own struggles. And so, um, you know, like most college guys, we struggle with lust, and we struggle with um, a lot, lots of other things in life, and we were wrestling with that. I mean, one of the guys cussed all the time and so he was like frog me every time i cuss we got to just pound him on his arm and I'm not sure that was i'm not sure where that shows up in the bible uh but that was what we came up with at 19 he was like i gotta stop cussing you know and so just hit me every time i cuss and so we did um and that was kind of fun we kind of enjoyed that maybe too much but um i remember talking with my boys recently and we were talking about just the struggles we have in life and I remember them looking at me and they're like so you struggle with lust too and i was like yeah I did. 99% of us do. And the other 1% struggle with lying, right? I mean, there's there's a fact when you walk through college that this is the way things go. And so you're going to struggle. You're going to have hard times. You're going to have these things that you need help in. And we recognize that. And so we circled up with guys and we're like, man, help me figure out how not to derail my life in this area. And let me figure out how to, to learn to, to, to surrender this to the Lord and to walk with Him. Um, one of the things that this group, Um, taught me that was probably the most significant thing of that section of my life is just, you're not crazy. Um, Guys, do you know how much you need to hear you're not crazy? Every guy I know thinks they're the only one that struggles with this stuff. Every guy I know thinks they're the only one that gets lonely. Every guy I know thinks they're the only one that, that stumbles sometimes. But you're not. You're not crazy. And this group of guys taught me the grace of God because they were grace in the flesh of guys going you're not alone. I struggle too. But God loves you enough that it's not worth running after that stuff. And so it began to point me in the right direction. That was a really good thing for us. But uh, Fandango was a movie that um, actually took place with some University of Texas students. We did our own spin on that. Our senior year, we went and go back to that last picture. There you go. Our senior year, we actually jumped in a pickup truck. We put a mattress in the back. Don't advise us at all. Very different era. Uh, we went down to the Mexican border. Don't advise that anymore either. It's not safe. Um, but there were three of us in the back of the truck, three of us in the front of the truck. We tried to see who could spend the least amount of money. And that accountability group, we went to Mexico and we actually took a water bottle and we each wrote in lifelong spiritual commitments and we wrote those things in. And we each took something that was very valuable to us and we put it in the bottle and we buried it on the border. We buried it on this side. We released that smart. We're like, if we're going to get arrested, we should get arrested in America, not in Mexico. And we buried it on the border. And we went back 10 years later and dug that bottle up. And we found it. Um, And we went back and then we sat and opened it. And things that we had prayed for, things that we had committed to, things that we'd asked the Lord to to change about our lives, we sat and we unpacked it and read those things. And it was an incredibly powerful moment. Um, Some things that we had forgotten, we'd even written down. And you look at how God answered. Some reason I wrote down in there that you know I wanted to be a father of twins, and they said it. They, they said it later. They were like, you know, it says you wanted to be a father of twins. I was like, it doesn't say that. And they're like, it does. And I'm like, I'm a father of twins. Um, like it was just you know there were certain things that were just amazing, but there are also spiritual things and commitments that happen. And so that group became very significant and still very significant. group of friends in my life, but began to lead Bible studies, began reading through the Bible every year, began going to Cameron Park at sunrise and praying with one of my buddies. And um, God just did really good things in my life during that time. Also met this little gal over here. Um, My my wife uh, met her when we were in college. And so Uh, kind of began connecting, trying to figure out. I was a little shy about asking her out, so I wasn't sure how to do that. Uh, I like to joke that she spiritually stalked me because, uh, I actually showed up in her prayer journals in April and I didn't ask her out till October. So I was like, I don't know if I really had a choice in the matter. Like, you just, you were, you were pursuing this thing. Um, but met and fell in love and began to date. And so we dated the last part of college and had a couple breakups in there because she needed to clean some stuff up and get that figured out. Uh, I'll be in trouble later for that, right? No. Uh, <laughs> had a couple of breaks ups there because we were both a little bit like needed to work through some stuff, and um, but eventually figured it out and um, continued to de- kind of develop a relationship. Um, eventually decided I wanted to go into ministry, and that was really affirmed by others. I remember when I said that, coming back and having a lot of our the people that knew me were like, we all knew that. We just wondered when you were going to clue in. And I was like, so I guess I'm slowing the uptake. Uh, well, let's go to the next section there, um, the early adult years. Um, so I'm trying to watch my time here. When you get to early adult years, for me, it started off with a Bible study, went and studied there again, and Tommy Nelson really shaved me, got up at 6 a.m., uh, got paid nothing, but got up at 6 a.m. every day for um, for nine months. And he started in Genesis 1-1 and went, let's start there, and taught for an hour, and then next morning opened up where he stopped and taught, kept teaching, and just learned the Bible and really fell in love with Scriptures and Um, really, really shaped the way that I view, uh, the way that I view the Word of God. And so that was a significant time of development with that group of guys studying under Tommy. Um, Think about those deals. Um, The Nan and I got married June 11th, 1994. That's an engagement picture. And then you get to see my beautiful bride on the next one. Um, So we got to celebrate that. We did marriage retreats in our early years. and, And in those early years, uh, everyone said you know your first year can be hard and our first years were like it's just great I was like i just don't have to take you home at night we get to celebrate we get to have a whole lot more fun and it was easy until like some other stuff in life hit that made it a little bit harder but we just loved being together and really enjoyed it, it took some uh, put our TV in the closet the first few years. We started grad school together. Uh, we're going to seminary and just really invested relationally, invested in our own development, our own lives together. We go away on an annual marriage retreat and write out lists of like, or highs and lows and prayer requests and what's God done and uh, do those things together. And so really, God was just really gracious to help foster that uh, during those times. Uh, we both went to seminary together. And so I ended up getting my master of theology, actually started a PhD, um, these are two of my professors. One of them, um, Bob Pine, was the guy that I graded for, uh, taught with, um, went to Ukraine. And we actually taught a seminary course in Ukraine on science and theology uh, over there. I got to go to India and teach a seminary class over there. Lanier Burns, the other guy over here, uh, one day when I was in seminary, he came up to me. He was like, Lawrence, come here. And said had this like real voice, like raspy voice. He said, the Holy Spirit told me you need to come work at the church while you're getting your Ph.D. Okay, I don't know how to argue with that. So I ended up going to work at the church that we were attending at the time. And within three months, realized, I don't want to get a PhD. I want to do this the rest of my life. And, you know, moving really quickly up to executive staff, got to preach, got to become pastor of equipping, and was there for a number, uh, for about seven and a half years. Um, During that time, uh, one of the things that that showed up a lot during that season, as I looked at my story was, uh, I always was fascinated with literature, with culture, with writing, with uh, all these different things. and was trying to figure out where does this fit with church ministry and how does it fit in. And uh, so there were several things that, um, actually, these these pictures are teaching. That was in Ukraine. Uh, The next one, I think, is me teaching in India. Uh, Those were really sweet times, getting to go over and teach uh, for several weeks over there. And then, um, but cultural engagement, this thing that God had fostered in my life, has, has always been a part of that. When I come back and look at these things, um, there was always a desire for me to try to connect the dots for people between the things that they're seeking out there and the things that are happening in the world with what God's doing uh, with really the pursuit spiritually. And so um, we got to do some fun things at that church. This was a picture of uh, me actually interviewing some Dallas celebrities. It's Scott Murray, who's a longtime sportscaster, one of the big restaurateurs. Uh, another, uh, that gals was actually a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader, it became a um a marketing expert for like the hottest hotel in town and we were interviewing saying tell us about dallas people tell us what drives people tell us what makes them hungry for the things that you offer in the world and then trying to help them see that really jesus is the only way that those things are ever going to be fulfilled and, and try to point them to a greater thing so another one we did a deal on the da vinci code and actually made the front page of the dallas morning news because we were it was so current at the time and daryl bach who's uh, next slide there um his speaking was uh, on ABC News like the next week or right around that time talking about the Da Vinci Code. And we got to talk about what, it, what that was going on. Some of you may remember that movie or the book and all this stuff. Lots of spiritual ideas in there. And we said, let's look at that, but then let's go talk about the truth and what the Bible actually says and use that to begin to preach that. So that was, those are things that, that God has put in me and shaped me um, a lot in, in those days of my life. Um, family let's talk about family first house um, this is the first house we lived in um, love that, that house uh, when we bought it had a washer and dryer in the kitchen had to move that out to the garage and um, was just a wonderful place that Nan and I bought and wanting to start a family part of the thing that uh, during those years was we really struggled to have kids and um, dealt with a lot of infertility and didn't really walked through that dealt with some uh, pretty significant heavy losses during that time we really wrestled with Lord, why are you going to do this? I remember Nan in tears one day saying, you know, the thing you want more than anything in the world is to be a dad. And I don't know what what the Lord's doing right now. And so that was a that was a difficult season for us. And yet, obviously, God moved us through that season. And, and we were able to have kids. We were to bring Mike and Luke into the world. And so God gave us uh, these two little twins. They spend about uh, eight, nine days, uh, eight days in NICU. Uh, we don't even remember. too long, right? Uh, Spent some time in, in NICU. Um, Continue to grow up, and then God brought us Jake, and so that's Mike and Luke, and they're growing up. And then Jake came into the world, so God gave us another little guy, and we got to celebrate that. Um, there also were so th- so those were a lot of the high points and a lot of a lot of those things during that time. Like in, like your guys' lives as well. There's also a lot of hard times. Um, got a picture here of a fire. Um, that's us being really silly. Uh, this was actually Nan's grandfather's house and their family home, the house that she'd always considered her family home, the, kind of where the, the heartbeat of their family was. And his house burned down and he burned down in it. And I remember standing outside at 3am and just watching and knowing that, that he was there and um, the hardship of that there, um, also was our house was broken into and they took a, you know, I got like a new computer, Nan lost. Um, things that were family heirlooms and things that were really hard for her. Um, during that during that season, um, Dan got her first job. End up as part of an undercover FBI agent or undercover uh, scheme with the FBI, trying to deal with some insurance fraud that her uh, company was committing. And um, we had a there was a suicide in the family. So the first I preached my first funeral in that time, and it was to a fam- family member who had committed suicide. Um, and so there were some hardships, and there were high times. And like like all of our lives, there's good and bad and all those things. So that was kind of our early years. Uh, but really we fostered, uh, built our family, fostered lots of relationships with lots of people and really enjoyed those years. Um, Next, I want to go to the in-between years. Um, This was the toughest season personally and professionally for us. Uh, During this time, um, we moved to North Carolina. It was a beautiful place. We loved it, but I took a job as a lead pastor there. And from the time that I went and interviewed till the time we actually went and moved there, uh, I remember getting there and they go, well, uh, we went ahead and created some elders until you have elders. And we went ahead and put a team in place to kind of do that um, until you're able to raise up elders here. And I was like, oh. And that was really not what we agreed on. And it really set the trajectory for that church in a really unhealthy place. Because when you have elders that aren't elders, you're, you're leaving a port with a ship that's already got holes in it. And so that's kind of how we were. So it started in that way. And then in year one, um, we actually took our first family vacation. We went out to California, and on the first, uh, first night of that vacation, um, we went to bed. Um, we actually went to dinner, went to bed. We're getting up the next morning, getting ready to go to SeaWorld, and um, we opened the window that morning and, um, in order to hear the ocean. And as we were kind of there, just kids running around, eating breakfast, doing all those things, getting ready for the day, um, my son Mike decided to run over, and he jumped up to look out the window and went right through and fell about 25 feet down onto a landing down below. And when he landed there, I remember Nan and I ran over. You just felt this like, it was like something left the room, like all the air left the room. And we ran over, and I remember looking out the, the window and looking down and seeing his crumpled little body with a pool of blood underneath him and just thinking, oh, everything's over. Like everything we know has just changed. And just assuming he was gone to be honest. And we ran downstairs and I wasn't dressed and Nan actually got downstairs before I did and scooped him up and um, I remember getting him and I remember things I'll never forget. Nan screams. Um, and I'll never forget the look in his eyes when his eyes were rolled back and just thinking man, he's gone. And carrying him and running upstairs Um don't know why I ran upstairs, but that's what I did. Ran upstairs and little Jake was trying to come down the stairs. He got about halfway down and I passed him. He turned around and came back up and Luke was there and Mike, um, I hear him start breathing. I'm like, "Well, there's a breath," and literally began to count backwards from he's gone to well he's breathing. Well, maybe they're, and it started going through these things, and we don't know if he's got a broken back. So I'm trying to hold him down so he doesn't thrash around. His arms snapped in half, and so it's like flopping around as he comes out. And and he's not really himself. And and there's a doctor that runs in and starts working. And, you know, it's just I I can I could go into that place and. I mean, I can bring myself to tears in a second if I if I if I allow myself to go there. But it that that day marked us. I remember sending Nan with the ambulance, and we had to stay there and answer questions um, of the fire department and the people that got there. And so Nan had gone with with him there to the to the hospital. And Mike and uh, I mean Luke and Jake are with me. And as we're driving, I remember thinking, is it better to call her so that she has someone to tell her? if he's died or should I wait and let her tell me in person? And I remember driving. I remember Luke saying, Daddy, did Mike break his arm? And I thought, yes, I can say that. <laughs> yes, he broke his arm. I remember Luke saying, Daddy, I wish I'd have fallen instead of Mike. And we got the we got to the hospital and um, major head trauma, had not broken his back, had lacerated his liver. Actually, the most dangerous thing was his liver was torn in two places. One of them just right on the edge of the artery that went through there and if it tore anymore they said he would bleed out in seconds. And so um, we didn't really know till that night that he was gonna live for sure. And so it was that night we spent nine days in the NICU. Um, celebrated turn six at the at the hospital. Um, that began a long road. Um, we spent two more months living in California in a Californian hotel um, because he we couldn't be cleared to fly. They were afraid that if the if he had an airplane had any turbulence and the seatbelt would hit his belly that he'd bleed out in seconds because it would tear that artery and so we had to stay there until his liver had healed enough that we could come home and so year one of a pastor i'm in california for three months um thinking that we had almost lost our son in the midst of that there were some graces um we we got to live in california uh, for two months and um, we got to wander out to the beach we got to see how god provided we got to be on the receiving side of the church there were amazing things that, get, that happened people that had heard about us through a prayer chain had a small group that adopted us in california and they they would come by and do our laundry and nam was like i just gave your underwear to someone i don't know who they are you know she's like they just took all our stuff and they bring us laundry or they bring us groceries and the church cared for us and these strangers that we'd never met would show up and just care for us and love on us and as a church you or a pastor who always is giving, to have it totally flipped and be completely needy and be on the other side of that was really humbling, but it was really good too. It's funny, I didn't think that was the part that was going to get me, but it's looking at you cry. <laughs> it's like going to kill me. Um, it's like, whew, push it down. Um, but that really marked us. Um, you can see pictures of Mike here. What that meant was constant doctor's appointments, um, constant um, in and out of places, checking on stuff, working on long-term stuff. Um, We're still dealing with some of those things. We still walk through some of the the things that uh, that time brought us. And so that was really a hard time. Coming out of that season, I know I need to keep moving here. Um, Nan dealt with PTSD, Um, me caring for the family. We had to shift and homeschool because he wasn't allowed to go for school i go to school. I got to May, and I had just a complete burnout. Um, I remember going to the counselor and him saying, you know what burnout is? It's You get pressed down by too much weight for too long, and you just enter a depressed state. And that's really where I was. I remember calling a buddy and saying, look, I know God gives grace for the day, but I cannot fathom preaching another Sunday. And his church fly, paid to fly him out, and he preached for me that Sunday. He spent a week hanging out with me. We mapped out my next six months of sermons, and just got me through. Um, we, we worked with counselors, we worked all that, but it was just survival mode. Um, we finally came out of that. Um, don't feel like the church ever really got healthy from there. Feel like we tried to start addressing the issues, and basically, it was like, well, we don't really want we don't really want to walk in gospel community the way you're talking about it. We don't really want to do what I'm doing right now. And I was like, why well, don't want a pastor church that doesn't want to be honest about life? And so decided to make a move and so that kind of wrapped up our time in um our time in in carolina but that was really definitely a dark night of the soul sort of a time um you know for the sake of time let me jump to what i'm calling middle age years um when you get to middle age years i remember uh, we we kind of came to this oh you know what i forgot huge thing that happened in that last uh, that last section to kind of turn in the corner on some of the stuff that happened um there was a, a moment of, of incredible, unexpected joy uh, that, that we didn't think was going to happen during that stage. And it's my little gal, Kate. And so she, God gave us her as a gift that was uh, just a gift of grace. And instantly she brought such joy, joy we didn't even know we need needed. But in that coming out of that dark season, uh, this little gift over here was just sent by God to bring joy back and just felt like it changed a lot of the demeanor for all of us for for our boys for us and was just an incredible gift of grace to us during that during that time as well so uh coming out of that transition we shifted and we decided to come back um nan reminded me one day she said you know you've always said someone needed to plant a church like this in edmond maybe god's calling you to do that Uh, and it's good for your wife sometimes to speak truth to you so uh, we moved back here um When you think about this church, did a church-planning residency. Um, We wanted to submit to a group of guys um, during that season, be under someone else's authority, and so went. And um, spent time in Arkansas with those guys. We'd be here one week and go back there one week. Did that for a year while we were starting to get things going here as a church. Um, Started meeting in our living room uh, as a church. And you see Cheryl and some of these other people in some of these pictures uh, there in my living room. You can probably see some of the people. Let me get the next one up. Um, and we just began telling people that was a a, a house that we had rented and we began to talk um, just about the church and what it is we wanted to do and um, God began to birth this thing called Redemption Church. Uh, Our first Sunday was also Chris Clark's first Sunday, so bring it full circle to his birthday. Uh, Let me look at our first worship service that we had together is in the next slide and God began to birth this church. Um, Out of all those things that um, that we... uh, that God has done in my life we really fought to be a healthy church we fought to grow slow we taught to make discipleship uh, the focus of what it is that we wanted to do we had a strong desire for rootedness for connection and community to, be, um, to have deep roots in a place where God would birth us and um, during, that, during that time um, God continued to, to hone our vision and, and to build this church and so that's kind of the season we've been in you guys have gotten to see and experience some of that so that's some of my story um, the, the last section I call in uh, family, one of the greatest things about being here for us is getting to be with our family again, um, getting to be close uh, after having been on the East coast, getting to be close to family and, and just enjoy that season. So, um, I, there's still years to be years ahead and I know we're running out of time here. Uh, I call this legacy years. I don't know what's next, but I'm trusting the Lord that he's going to do good stuff. I'm excited for the next season uh, of church life, the next season with the church building, um, just, that's a teaser. Uh, getting to use my gifts in a new way. Getting to, to move out of church planting phase and enter into this church phase of uh, being a, a church with a permanent home in our city. Um, and, and getting to see how God wants to use that. Be able to use the gifts and things God's um, put in me to continue to hopefully serve this church and, and serve this city. Um, and I know I need to wrap this up. I'm just going to stop there. Let me say this. The, those two things that I said at the beginning, my spiritual foundation, the way that God through his word and through his spirit has worked in me and by his grace, and my relationship connect, relational connections, those are the things that have given me strength to get through the hard times, and those are the things that have given me joy in the, in the, in the high times. Those are the things that, that ultimately we want to be about uh, because those are the things that really shape who we are. And so we want to invite you into that as as a people that you might learn to share your story. Let me just ask you this question. Any of you feel like you know me a little more than you knew me an hour ago? Um, None of you have run away, so I'm assuming that wasn't all awful. When you invite someone into your story, it builds trust. It builds a connection. Um, We want to be a place that's built on relationships that God is using us as we're being honest about things um, in our stories. So... How do we apply this lesson? Friends, the greatest thing we can offer the world is a healthy, honest, real group of Christians who love Jesus. That's the greatest thing we can offer the world. Um, Just don't be weird. Love one another. Be honest. Be kind. Point people to Jesus. Remind each other of grace. Um, when When you trip and fall down, pick one another up. Help bear burdens. Like, we can do this stuff with God's help. And this is ultimately what we're called to do. And friends, if you don't know the Lord... Can I just say, have you recognized your need to have God's hand in your story? If you've, it, God gave you life, have you ever given your life back to him? Have you ever recognized how much you need and trusted him with your life? And uh, because right now, if you, if you haven't, you only have half the story. You have your story, but it's not connected to God's story. And so you're not going to live with all the full, full, fulfillment and flourishing that he intends for you. And so we want to invite you to trust the Lord. And beyond that, You'll be confined by yourself. You'll be stuck in your history and your heritage. And God wants to bring renewal and redemption to those things. He wants to transform your life. Jesus is ultimately the one that rescues our stories from self. He's the one that connects us to a bigger story, a story that we really need. And that's why we as Christians come to the table every week, and we remind ourselves at the communion table that our story is connected to God's story, that ultimately God met us in the place of our weakness, and he became our strength. God met us in the place of our brokenness and he became our righteousness. God met us in the place of, um, the place of our loneliness, and he became our friend. He's the one who rescues. He's the one who redeems. Um, let me just let me end with this as we come to the communion table. and if you've not trusted Christ, um, we ask you not to come to the table unless you're ready. And then we'd love to invite you to come meet Jesus and and to trust him with your life. But if you are a believer, I want to invite you to come in just a minute and stand. And you're going to come and take bread that represents Christ's broken body. And you're going to take a cup that represents Christ's shed blood for you. And you're going to go back to your seat and we're going to take communion in a minute. But let me just give you this, speak this truth over you. No story is unimportant to God. You're made in his image. No story is without the love of God. God sent his, God so loved the world, he sent his only son. No story is too sinful for God to redeem. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. No story is too shameful for God to renew. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No story no, no story has a heritage beyond transformation. It says, As such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And no story and Christ is without a happy ending. He will wipe away every tear, and death shall be no more. There will never be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. The former things have passed away; all things He will make new. We pray for us, Father. I thank you for uh, the opportunity to uh, just to share life with these friends. Father, I pray that you would um, that you would meet them in their story, that they would see how their story story is connected to the story that you are weaving in the world and in their lives. Father, would you redeem, would you redirect, would you renew, uh, would you refine us by your grace. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.